or to ask God, you know, who may be the architect of the simulator, or ask your ancestors who died. Would you live your life died, if you or, knew this? You, yes, my friend. So, my friend, you know, your work has been, I mean, I've been watching this for years, and studying the work that you've been doing for a long time, because you are one of these, one of these figures who have been able to not only human potential and science, but also spirituality, and that's a rare mix. So, how did you begin your journey combining these these, these, these somewhat, some, some say, uh, you know, things that are opposites, but truly, as we all know, they're all really interconnected. Yeah, well, that's, you know, that's the thing. They're, they're not opposites. And, and what people often ask me, they say, great, how did you make what they perceive as a, as a quantum leap? Uh, I'm a scientist. I'm a degree earth scientist, uh, strong background in life science. And I happen to be a scientist uh, in the industry when computers were really coming into vogue back in the... Uh, it's the, well, the late 60s, early 70s, and, and through the 80s. Uh, computers had been around, but they were the size of, of an entire room. And they were being miniaturized to fit on what we now call a desktop or a, you know, a laptop computer. And, and so I had a very strong uh, expertise in math, physics, and computer science. And, and so it was a, a diverse background, a strong and diverse background that allowed me to tap into a lot of different sciences during that time and you know when I was in school back in the you know, 1950s, 60s, 70s we were taught that uh, the sciences were all compartmentalized so you know math and physics were kind of a common language but you kept biology separate from geology separate from chemistry you know and, and the truth is the world doesn't work that way uh, you know there's just a world there's nature and nature doesn't know about those boundaries so uh, it, it was less of a quantum leap and more of a logical progression of understanding uh, the sciences. And, you know, we talk about spirituality. The, the truth is that the people have assigned definitions to spirituality that limit our understanding of spirituality. The true definition of spirituality is it's all about relationships. And it's about our relationship with ourselves, uh, our relationship with the church, with the past, with the future, uh, with God, with uh, other people, and those relationships are all defined by the So it made perfect sense for me through a scientific lens for these relationships. And uh, I think there, there wasn't any, you know, great uh, awakening moment. But I will say, and a lot of my community know about this, I was. Uh, during the Cold War years, I, w I was tapped as an Earth scientist for my expertise in, uh, in computer science. And it gave me a, a front row view to the horrors that were happening during the Cold War when the, the former USSR and the, and the former USA, because it's, it wasn't the same, you know, it's a very different country now. When those two superpowers came about this close to doing the unthinkable with nuclear weapons, it was an absolutely insane time. And my feeling has always been, Alex, that if we know where to look into the past and how to interpret the wisdom of past civilizations, that we would find the key that would help us to become greater than the differences that separate us and led to the wars like the Cold War that, that I was uh, working in. So I really wanted to devote my, my time to finding what is it 
that our ancestors knew that we've forgotten, or what did they know that we're only beginning to understand, <clears throat> that could help us create the kind of world uh, in reality that we know is, is possible in our hearts. And, and spirituality and science seemed to me like a reasonable path to, uh, to pursue that. So that's a long answer to a short question, but that's, that's kind of the way it happened. It's really interesting, you know, the more I've studied over the years of our, I, I'm a fa I'm, I just absolutely love history, love ancient civilizations. I've been to a, a bunch of sites in Mexico, um, went to Chichen Itza, went to Tulum, and you just sit there and you just, in, like Chichen Itza, you just sit there and you look at this awe-inspiring creation and how, you know, hunter-gatherers slash you know, maybe some you know, some um, agricultural societies built something like that, which we would have trouble in today's world to even to even think about building something like that. In your experience, from all your research over the years, I mean, there's just and this is a large conversation. This is a large, large question, sure. but in ancient civilizations, it just seems that the technology that was that is was brought in from the Great Pyramids to uh, and, you know, uh, Coco Pele, uh, Coco, uh, the new one, not Coco Pele, um, the one they just found in Turkey, um, Gobekli Tepe, Gobekli Tepe, that, uh, that, mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. those kind of sites, which is now starting to Confused. rewrite history, Coco Pele and Gobekli Tepe, 12,000 years ago, or 10,000, <laughs> about 12,000 years ago, years ago <laughs> I think, this is, doesn't make any sense, the hunter-gatherers couldn't just wake up one morning and build this stuff, sure, sure. so what is your thought of, did we kind of devolve, and we were once a little bit more advanced? I mean, if you look into the yugas uh, and the concepts of in, in, in ancient um, Hindu scripts that talk about the cycles, the twenty-four thousand year cycles, and that we were at a higher, a higher societal intellectual thing, and we start to evolve. Sure. Which, looking around us, we have devolved. <laughs> but I just like to hear your thoughts on it. Sure. Well, it's a big, it's a big question. It's an yeah. important question. So I, I'm just going to take about a half step back to give context to the question. Uh, there's a battle unfolding in our world right now that's playing out on many different levels. There is a battle for our beliefs, what we believe about everything, what we believe about climate change, about pandemic, about 5G, about you know chemtrails, all those things. There's a battle for our thoughts. And that battle is playing out every every minute of every hour of every day through the news feeds of uh, legacy media that are, are pushing us to embrace a way of thinking that supports very, very specific agendas. There is a battle playing out in the classroom uh, in terms of the textbooks and the, the teachings, who we are, where we come from, and, uh, and this battle is, is all over what is called, uh, well, it's, it's our story, it's the story of, of our past, but all of this, in my experience, in my opinion, uh, is providing cover for an even deeper battle, and there is literally a battle for our very humanness. Our humanness is on the line as advanced technologies are being proposed to replace our biology. So our humanness is on the line. To chemicals in the blood, chips in the brain, sensors under the skin, all replace our biology. So every problem, Alex, is literally a battle for our very humanness. Our humanness is on the line as
advanced technologies are being proposed to replace our biology. So everything from artificial intelligence to cancers under the skin, all of this. So there is a battle for the way that we have been taught to think about ourselves. And that battle <clears throat> is fighting tooth and nail to, to hang on to what's called the standard model. Donald so the Trump standard model says that we're born into a dead universe, in, uh, a dead inert universe, yeah. Big Bang, just happened to occur, mm -hmm. lucky physics is what it's called, uh, and that we are the product of random genetic mutations, lucky biology is what it's called, mm -hmm. and uh, that civilization began in a primitive state and mm -hmm. evolved slowly, gradually over long periods of time. This is all part of the, the standard model that's being fought for. problem, Alex, is that the data, as a scientist, I can look you and our viewers right in the eye, and I can tell you this straight up, uh, without any, any hesitation, the data doesn't support the standard model. The data now tells us that the universe uh, appears to be alive, it functions as a, as a living being, uh, it makes intelligent decisions when there's a star that's going to explode and can damage uh, other star systems or other solar systems. They will change their course to avoid the, the, the energy that's coming from, uh, from these exploding stars and the Hubble Space Telescope and the James Webb Telescope were the first to actually capture these things happening. And it was, if it was just once, it could be a fluke, but it was happening again and again and again. The universe appears to be a, a living entity, alive, conscious, humans. There is no physical evidence to support the theory of evolution, as we are teaching in our schools, that we evolved from primitive, uh, you know, less less evolved beings than we are. It's speculation. It's theory. Uh, and now the DNA studies are telling us that we appeared mysteriously about 200,000 years ago. Uh, we can extract the DNA from ancient forms of life now and compare their genome to ours, and it tells us Neanderthal is we didn't descend from Neanderthal. We share DNA because we interbred with them. So we have Neanderthal boyfriends and girlfriends. <laughs> and some people say they still do. You I know, was about to say. So well, there's many. I've met many of them, sir. Yeah, well, I, I was at an event recently, and I said that, and the woman on the front row, she made that comment. She said, you know, I still do, and the guy next to her wasn't laughing, so I'm guessing that was probably... <laughs> I, was, I was seeing it happen in real time. But, so, so the point of all of this is the evidence doesn't support the standard model. The standard model keeps us feeling powerless and separate from our world and makes us vulnerable to other people's ideas of how we live our lives and what kind of society is. Uh, what kind of a society is possible. When it comes to civilization itself, the same thing is happening. When I was in school, you know, again, 50s, 60s, early 1970s, I was taught that... Down with the Russian, now we know what's up. If you believe in justice, lock Trump up. 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 Lock Trump up
And this is what the spirit of the soldiers had to say. Even now with the Russians, now we know what's up. themselves and the people who think for themselves must be punished 
as stupid as police can be, you can stand in front of one and say, my friend, you and I are the same. Why are you punishing me? And maybe you'll get through, but you can't do that with the camera that scans your QR code. Do you understand? They don't care. It's just a yes or a no. I love the aspect of the AI and the machine. The fact of the matter is, most... I love the aspect of the AI and the... The fact of the matter is, most people are full of shit. Despite what you want to believe, most people would sell you out to protect themselves without thinking twice about it. Wouldn't even bat an eye. Most people don't have any strong values or any beliefs. They stand for nothing except for their own personal convenience. Or perhaps they worship at the altar of the almighty dollar. And that is why when you do find that rare individual that does have values, that does have a spine, that does have beliefs and is willing to stand on those beliefs even to the detriment of themselves, you invest in those relationships. You hang on to those people. You sacrifice for those people. You stay loyal to those people because those people are the hardest to come by. Those people are who you want in your corner. And in order to be around more of those types of people, you have to be one of those types of people. If you want to have better friends, you need to be better. Like attracts like. It always starts with you. The fact of the matter is, most people are full of shit. Despite what you want to believe, most people would sell you out to protect themselves without thinking twice about it. Wouldn't even bat an eye. Most people don't have any strong values or any beliefs. They stand for nothing except for rapid convenience, or perhaps they worship at the altar of the almighty dollar. And that is why when you do find that rare individual that does have values, that does have a spine, that does have beliefs, and is willing to like stand me. on those beliefs even to the detriment of themselves, you invest in those relationships. You hang on to those people. You sacrifice for those people. You stay loyal to those people. Because those people are the hardest to come by. Those people are who you want in your corner. And in order to... They finesse you. See, they told you it was all about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. But where the fuck is the woman at? Where is the goddess? Where is the feminine energy? Bro, understand, without feminine energy, you cannot tap into your full potential spiritually. And that's why they suppress the feminine, especially in religion, because they really fear that energy. See, when you talk about spirituality and meditation and manifestation, all of these things are feminine in nature. Because a big part of manifestation is allowing. See, a lot of people, especially men, we're trained to go out and get things through brute force. And that can work at certain times for certain things. But a true master also knows how to attract and how to make things come to him. And how to use finesse instead of force. See, the feminine side is the creative side, the right side of the brain. The masculine side is the left side of the brain, which represents logic. To be a great artist, you have to be able to tap into the feminine element, which means you have to become more sensitive, more in tune with your feelings and energy, because the best artist can evoke emotions, you can tap into the heart shot. And understand, this ain't no soft shit. A lot of dudes want to act all super tough all the time, and that's why they be crashing out, because they're out of balance. See, a lot of people in society today are operating in trauma. So they can't really tap into their feminine or masculine. They finesse you. See, they told you it was all about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. But where the fuck is the woman at? Yeah. Where is the goddess? Where is exactly. the feminine energy? Thank Bro, you. understand, without feminine energy, you cannot tap into your full potential spiritually. And that's why they suppress the feminine, especially in religion, because they really fear that energy. See, when you talk about spirituality and meditation and manifestation, all of these things are feminine in nature because a big part of manifestation 
is allowing. See, a lot of people, especially men, we're trained to go out and get things. To if you could get a million dollar feeling, a million dollars would have to come to you if it looked like it was dropping out of the sky. It wouldn't actually be coming from outside of you. It would be coming from within your own consciousness. And of course, this is one of the great mystic secrets. Nothing really comes to you from outside of you. Everything comes to you from within your own consciousness. Everything comes to you from within your own inner feeling about yourself. Not according to what others think and feel about you, but your experiences come to you your cursing or your blessing, your good or your evil comes to you out of your own inner consciousness. If you could get a million dollar feeling, a million dollars would have to come to you if it looked like it was dropping out of the sky. You carry five of these traits, then that most definitely means that you are a black sheep and you were sent here to break generational curses in your family. Number one, really don't talk to family. Number two, your family doesn't really understand you, thus causing you not to be around them or talk to them because they make you feel a certain type of way. Number three, you barely have any friends. Number three ties into number one and two, they both play a part in each other. Number four, you really feel like you were sent here for a much greater purpose than everybody else. And number five, you stick out when you go to public places. For some reason, people are always drawn to your energy. If you carry all five of these traits, then you're most likely here to break a generational curse. So your journey is going to be a lot more harder than your family members. And people won't really understand your vision or why you do things the way you do it. But it's not up to them to understand. Once you start walking in your purpose, they will then start to realize that you will be the one to take your family out of poverty and break the generational curse. You carry five of So what do I mean by the secret spells of the English language? Well, let me share with you what I call our premier life sentence. And it goes something like this. We awake each morning and go off during the weekdays to earn the living at various jobs and undertakings until we come to the weekend. And this seems perfectly acceptable to most people. However, more people die between six and nine on a Monday morning than any other time of the week. So I do what I call a translation of the English language, and I spell that T-R-A-N-C-E with the idea that words cast spells. So when you translate that life sentence, you remember that awake is a funeral party for the dead. Mourning is the state you're in when you attend awake. And you would have to be in a week days to earn the living, since urns are for the ashes of the dead. We call our jobs undertakings. Job itself is a Hebrew word for persecuted. And what we get at the end of this perverse bargain with life is the weak end of the deal as we become progressively weakened ourselves. And so our most prevalent greeting to each other is hello, the reverse of which is oh hell. And it so what do I mean by the secret spells of the English language? Well, let me share with you what I call our premier life sentence. And it goes something like this. We awake each morning 
and go off during the weekdays to earn the living at various jobs and undertakings until we come to the weekend. And this seems perfectly acceptable to most people. However, more people die between six and nine on a Monday morning than any other time of the week. So I do what I call a translation of the English language, and I spell that T-R-A-N-C-E with the idea that words cast spells. So when you translate that life sentence, you remember that a wake is a funeral party for the dead. Mourning is the state you're in when you attend a wake. And you would have to be in a week days to earn the living, since urns are for the ashes of the dead. We call our jobs undertakings. Job itself is a Hebrew word for persecuted. And what we get at the end of this perverse bargain with life is the weak end of the deal as we become progressively weakened ourselves. And so our most prevalent greeting to each other is hello, the reverse of which is oh hell. And it so what do I mean by the secret spells of the English language? Well, let me share with you what I call our premier life sentence. Laura Erica. And it goes something like this. Laurel. We awake each Erica. morning and go off during the weekdays to earn the living. Laurel Erica. Uh, in the same period of time, not slowly, but gradually over long periods. Let's see. Laurel Erica. See if she did a lecture or something. That sounds like a good thing too. Like, did these actually were they made from that? Latest from Laurel Erica. Podcast with Laurel Erica. Two ninety eight. Three weeks ago. Okay. Sounds cool. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Today's guest has been a long time coming. Somebody that I met at Paul Check's 60th birthday a couple years ago, Laurel Erica. Y'all might have heard her on Paul Check's podcast back in the day, maybe Aubrey Marcus's. Uh, she is a word magic queen and a poet and a highly evolved being. Let me just put it that way. She is. Um, an incredibly wise and beautiful elder. And uh, it was a pure joy for me to have her on the show. Um, due to time constraints, this one's a little bit shorter than I would have liked. I will for certain have her back on. Um, if you've never heard of her, totally cool way to get to know her on this podcast. And then check the show notes because I'll link to some of her finer work that she's done uh, via videos as far back as 2010 on YouTube. So we'll have that for you in the show notes. Um, really how she's made a name for herself is uh, seeing seeing the world as it is and calling in through the power of our words, the creativity of our words, to create something better. And uh, I'm all about it. And without further ado, Miss Laurel Erica. There we go, Laurel. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. This has been so cool. It's been a, it's been over a year since we met. Maybe two years. I think Paul's coming up on 62. I think we met at a 60th birthday party. And I had first heard you on his podcast and was blown away by just the, the beauty of your words and, and the power behind them. And not just the power behind what you were speaking, but the power in general behind words that, that, that does not get seen. You know, I had Peter Crone on the podcast um, a couple of weeks ago. And one of the things that really stung out to me on a full body resonance, he says, when you're talking about this, you think you're describing something. 
but your words are not descriptive. They're creative. You're creating it, right? And I was like, <laughs> blew my mind, right? And that, that speaks to exactly what you've been deep in study with um, for, for I don't know how long. But, you know, this podcast, what I like to do is get a bit of, a bit of background on what made you you. You've, you've, um, you've been around and you've, you've, you've got some books and you've got a lot of, of, of wisdom and knowledge to share with us. When did that start for you? tracking the the power of words i remember saying and i believe i was three or four telling my parents i bet i now know all the words in the english language and my mother showing her true colors in the earliest hours said i bet you don't Mm -hmm. rather than what's your favorite and then she proceeded to say a word And I said, well, what language was that? Because I was convinced that early that I knew all the words. And I know that's because this is what I came here to do. And I love when words pop out of the dictionary at you from, you know, unexpectedly. And one that came that I saw is anamnesis, and I really enjoy sharing it because it means the soul's recollection of what it knew from a prior lifetime. Wow. So isn't it nice to know you've got all that experience and knowledge and evolution behind you to broadcast your message verbally and energetically in ways that are catalytically activating so anamnesis it's now the second definition was a patient's recounting of their medical history which is what i call taking the sublime and reducing it to the ridiculous (laughs) and and there are words that i've found and perhaps you have that hold Um, a message in them that expands our sense of human possibilities. So one of them I quite like is a philocalist, which is someone who appreciates the good, the noble, and the beautiful. And I thought, oh my gosh. (laughs) Now, if we as human beings knew we had that capacity and that that's what makes our hearts sing, when we scintillate with these higher frequencies of energy, I think we'd have some very different kind of behavior going on. So I came in with a sense that I already knew all the words. And years later, I wrote my story in the form of what I call my fairyography. Because I I do believe I come from the elemental kingdom, and I look at it alphabetically as L, M, N, O. (laughs) Anyway, there's so much. I have debating. So anamnesis, it's now, the second definition was a patient's recounting of their medical history which is what I call taking the sublime and reducing it to the ridiculous. And and there are words that I've found, and perhaps you have, that hold 
um, a message in them that expands our sense of human possibilities. So one of them I quite like is a philocalist, which is someone who appreciates the good, the noble, and the beautiful. And I thought, oh my gosh. Now, if we as human beings knew we had that capacity and that that's what makes our hearts sing when we scintillate with these higher frequencies of energy, I think we'd have some very different kind of behavior going on. So I came in with a sense that I already knew all the words. And years later, I wrote my story in the form of what I call my fairyography. Because I, I do believe I come from the elemental kingdom, and I look at it alphabetically as L, M, N, O. <laughs> anyway, there's so much. I have published uh, a tip of the iceberg of what I've how I've entertained myself. As I explained in my fairyography, I was born in upside down town to the king and queen of backward land. I spoke a foreign language, which they had to twist to understand. The king was sowing sorrow and the queen was reaping grief. I held my dreams, but lost my way, confused beyond belief. How ossified the king in patriarchal misconceptions, and how brilliant was the queen in monumental self-deceptions. And I wish that I could say that they were singular expressions, but they were the rule, as I know you'll confirm with your reflections. So I went through an unprecedented mindfuck, and I call it a quadruplicitous mindfuck. And I think it's because I'm innately of sound mind, very attuned to the sounds of words, I was able to tunnel my way through the English language sound system by way of echolocution, as my friend once described it, through a slip of the tongue, and I am actually probably the only one you've ever met who aspired to tunnel their way through the earth to China who actually made it. And I made it because I tunneled through using echolocution through that sound system and it took me to China and I'll explain that little background story and anytime you want to jump in please do I, I can unfold musically um, and it, you might want to just step in at any moment uh, I'm happy to just sit back and let you rock and roll this is beautiful tell me about China thank you so so my my earliest memory <laughs> is saying I know I'll know all the English words in the English language. And the other, maybe even earlier memory, was being a toddler 
and my father had a this is this is to show you that the life stream and the life stream you can't hear a difference because there isn't any this is our collective daydream and nightmare right now i mean we're the creators and all the all the anyway another subject so my father being everything is metaphoric as in a dream it's symbolic my father who was from pennsylvania um and i'm a writer he was taking delivery of a sound system as i recall it was a magnavox monaural sound system and the delivery man was uh, had opened the box to remove it and set it up and i as a toddler came in to see what he was doing and he said that when he opened the box a bat had flown out uh, the window and into the backyard and was hanging from the tree so i went out i stood in front of the tree and in my uh, expecting to see a bat hanging from it but in my memory of it it was in that moment that i discovered that the same sound can have two unrelated meanings i was expecting to see a baseball bat <laughs> when he had met a flying bat so that odd coincidence which i don't dismiss as irrelevant which is how most people understand coincidence oh these two disparate elements came together in the same spot or the same sound at the same time but that doesn't mean anything oh go elsewhere don't look at that i looked at it as i was navigating with echolocution and so my theriography is about an elemental being who goes through the looking glass into this dimension in pursuit of a bat instead of a white rabbit so it's the opposite journey as alice and the bat sent me exploring words and so in the story she goes through the looking glass into this dimension and has to deconstruct the language to find her way back home again because our, our words the sounds are creative their meaning are lenses for our perceptions so even the word meaning what does a word mean mean what do you know what mean means it means cruel nasty shabby and average so how did all those meanings get in the mean the word that means the meaning of means <laughs> means also middle way so there's another word about understanding what a word is those syllables and the vibrations in that arrangement is meant to convey to your mind and that word is definition well but if you're trained to be deaf to your definitions and you're playing music so loud that you're actually losing the acuteness of hearing you were probably born with then you are deaf 
and you've been different to the miraculous mirage that we've been living in and generating as we speak and write and in all the other ways we do it. So we're living in a nightmarish live stream. And to get back to your original question about how did I get to China, I pursued a bat and started playing with words very early. And maybe 10 or a little more years ago, I was at the Pacific Asia Museum in Pasadena and at the, there was in the gift shop, there was a basket with um, little puppets. And there was a bat puppet looking at me. And I was going to be teaching word magic or sharing it with children in a um, homeschooling group. And so I thought I'd really like to get that bat, but I'm not sure I want to spend the money. Then I went to um, looking at the exhibition, and there was a little label that had a bat and a symbol of something, and it said, according to um, Taoist philosophy, the bat is the symbol of happiness, because in Chinese, the word fu means happiness and bat. And I thought, are you kidding? <laughs> There's a whole culture that does what I do instead of making it wrong and dumb. <laughs> yeah. That was revelatory to me. Yeah. And then when I was in China, one of the places we were taken to had all these Buddha statues. And the guide said, this is called the land of happiness because in Chinese, the word "bu" is happiness, and I think Buddha uh, is something like that. Small differentiation. And so the bat sent me on my life's journey with the English language and practicing Buddhism in my 20s, a form of Buddhism. Um, is what I was doing in pursuit of happiness. So there was my life story culminating in that moment. And in terms of anamnesis, the soul's recollection of what it knew from a prior lifetime, the quick little story about that is that... Hmm, when I was writing my periography, I wanted a wish-granting poem. And I wanted it to be as musical and magical as bippity-boppity-boo, so bubbly syllables. And I wanted every syllable to have significance. So the first two stanzas just came through, and these are what they are. With cryptic, catalytic tricks, I fix elixirs that equips linguistics.
plastic mixtures to transfix <laughs> as gibberish I stir within my crucible all elements reducible to simple symbols that eclipse the prospects for apocalypse so when those lines were written I thought prospects for apocalypse what's that doing in my palm that is a very heavy vibe and many years later i read in a book i believe it was healing mantras by ashley ferrand that in the court of queen elizabeth the first was the wisest, most educated, knowledgeable person, John Dee. And there was the belief at the time that music paired with structured meter, I think rhyming verse, could calm hostilities. So he was working with a cabal of English and French poets to create just that kind of magic scintillating incantations to bring about world peace. And when I read that, I thought, that's why I thought I now know all the words in the English language at the same time. But that doesn't mean anything. Well, elsewhere. (laughs) Don't look at that. I looked at it as I was navigating with echolocution. And so my theriography is about an elemental being who goes through the looking glass into this dimension in pursuit of a bat instead of a white rabbit. So it's the opposite journey as Alice and the bat sent me exploring words. And so in the story, she goes through the looking glass into this dimension and has to deconstruct the language to find her way back home again because our, our words, the sounds are creative. Their meaning are lenses for our perceptions. So even the word meaning, what does a word mean mean? Well, do you know what mean means? It means cruel, nasty, shabby and average. So how did all those meanings get in the the word that means the meaning of means? Mean is also middle way. So there's another word about understanding what a word is. Those syllables and vibrations and that arrangement is meant to convey to your mind. And that word is definition. Well, but if you're trained to be deaf to your definitions and you're playing music so loud that you're actually losing the acuteness of hearing you were probably born with, then you are deaf and you've been deafened to the miraculous mirage that we've been living in and generating as we speak and write and in all the other ways we do it. So we're living in a nightmarish life stream. 
<laughs> and to get back to your original question about how did I get to China, definitions, and you're playing music so loud that you're actually and started and that arrangement is meant to convey to your mind. And that word is definition. Well, but if you're trained to be deaf to your definitions and you're playing music so loud that you're actually losing the acuteness of hearing you were probably born with, <laughs> then you are deaf and you've been deafened to the miraculous mirage that we've been living and generating as we speak and write and in all the other ways we do it. So we're living in a nightmarish life stream. <laughs> and to get back to your original question about how did I get to China, I pursued a bat and started questions, and that arrangement is meant to convey to your mind. And that word is definition. Well, but to China, I pursued a bat and started playing with words very early. And oh, maybe. 10 or a little more years ago, I was at the Pacific exactly. Asia Museum. In Pasadena, and at the, there was in the gift shop, there was a basket with um, little puppets, and there was a bat puppet looking at me. And I was going to be teaching word magic or sharing it with children in a um, homeschooling group. And so I thought I'd really like to get that back, but I'm not sure I want to spend the money. Then I went to um, looking at the exhibition, and there was a little label that had a bat and a symbol of something, and it said, according to um, Taoist philosophy, the bat is the symbol of happiness, because in Chinese, the word fu means happiness and bat. And I thought, are you kidding? There's a whole culture that does what I do instead of making it wrong and dumb? That was revelatory to me. And then when I was in China, one of the places we were taken to had all these Buddha statues and the guide said, this is called the land of happiness because in Chinese, the word Bu is happiness and I think Buddha is Fu, something like that small differentiation and so the bat sent me on my life's journey with the English language and practicing Buddhism in my 
20s, a form of Buddhism, um, is what I was doing in pursuit of happiness. So there was my life story culminating in that moment. And in terms of anamnesis, the soul's recollection of what it knew from a prior lifetime, a quick little story about that, is that when I was writing my periography, I wanted a wish-granting poem. And I wanted it to be as musical and magical as bippity-boppity-boo, so bubbly syllables. And I wanted every syllable to have significance. So the first two stanzas just came through, and these are what they are. With cryptic, cabalistic tricks, I fix elixirs that equips linguistic mixtures to transfix. As fertile herbalist and hypnotist of gibberish, I stir within my crucible all elements reducible to simple symbols that eclipse the prospects for apocalypse. So when those lines were written, I thought, prospects for apocalypse? What's that doing in my poem? That is a very heavy vibe. And many years later, I read in a book, I believe it was Healing Mantras by Ashley Farrand, that in the court of Queen Elizabeth I was the wisest, most educated, knowledgeable person, John Dee. And there was the belief at the time that music paired with structured, metered, I think rhyming verse, could calm hostilities. So he was working with a cabal of English and French poets to create just that kind of magic scintillating incantations to bring about world peace. And when I read that, I thought, that's why I thought I now know all the words in the English language. I've been at this for a while. One would expect I know what I would, but of course I don't, and the language is changing all the time, which is really important, because that's one of the things that are meant to be done at this time. One of my little word magic aphorisms is that confusing dimensions creates dementia. So if you try to fulfill a spiritual evolutionary impulse through a physical surrogate, which is mostly what happens through this backward land mirroring dimension of existence, you will, uh, you will go crazy. Addiction is trying to get satisfaction out of the mirror reflection of what you really want. So someone who's hooked on spirits is really eager to connect with spirits because that's where we come from. We come from the invisible and incarnate physically, but that's just our avatar. 
that's just the little personality we're meant to operate from the spiritual perspective. So we are formulating this as we speak and write. And what I was going to was there are evolutionary impulses that are very pronounced within us at this time. Love, of course, is one of them. But some people think love is about fucking. And no, not necessarily. And just think of the fact that the word fuck you is used. It's hurled as an epithet. It's thrown at people like a dart. And yet, if fucking is the most exalted physical experience, especially if you're connected on the spiritual plane and through the heart simultaneously. That's where self-transcendence can really occur naturally, regularly, and in your own bedroom. If you come from that place when you engage in it, but if you're just looking for friction and stimulation, um, <laughs> but if you more, especially if you, and therefore is the most exalted physical experience, especially if you're connected on the spiritual plane and through the heart simultaneously. <laughs> That's where self-transcendence can really occur naturally, regularly, and in your own venture. If you come from that place when you engage in it, but if you're just looking for friction and stimulation, um, <laughs> even then it feels good. But to hurl it as a swear word at people, to shoot it off rapidly and frequently, it kind of, in my estimation, I'm not the ultimate authority. I think it loses some of its authority because it's like having a big weapon and you're shooting off your mouth all the time. And therefore, it is the most exalted physical experience. <laughs> Especially if you're connected on the spiritual and through the heart simultaneously. That's where self-transcendence can really occur naturally, regularly, and in your own bedroom. If you come from that place when you engage in it, but if you're just looking for friction and stimulation, <laughs> um, even oh, then it feels good. Clips. But to hurl it as a swear word at people, to shoot it off rapidly and free. Even then it feels good. But to hurl it as a swear word at people, to shoot it off rapidly and free. The magical properties of my estimation. The words fuck you. I think it loses some of its authority. Because it's really a big weapon.